Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Fareed Khan is the CEO and founder of Pharmacure, a biotech company taking a novel approach to treating complex neurological diseases. Fareed talks us through his fascinating entrepreneurial career, along with the opportunity presented by repurposing drugs and the learning curve involved in starting and building a biotech business. This week, I am delighted to be joined by Fareed Khan of Pharmacure. Fareed, welcome to Careers in Discovery. Oh, happy to be here, and thanks for inviting me. Of course, really good to see you. And I'm really excited to dive into your career, Fareed, and and learn a bit about your journey, because I know it's been a a fascinating one. Um, We always start by talking about what you're up to now. And and so I'm really interested to learn more about Pharmacure to start with, and particularly, you know, your approach to to the problem of neurodegeneration. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so I'm the CEO of Pharmacure. Pharmacure is a, a spin out from the University of Manchester. It's dedicated to finding treatments for brain diseases, in particular Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. Because right now we don't have anything. We don't have no arsenal drugs, yes. uh, let alone even uh, a very good diagnostic for these diseases as well. Um, so I'm, I lead the scientific team in research and development. Um, so what does that mean? I, I, I develop assays and mm-hmm. looking into making what we call biomarkers. Biomarkers are those sort of um, proteins, if you like, in in, in blood or, or other organ, uh, organs to find um, whether, you know, the severity of the disease and whether we can um, add drugs to those uh, or indeed uh, have drug treatments so that we can see the effects, the biochemical effects, you know, whether a drug works or not. So that's yes. something that uh, I'm involved with. So I work with clinicians in that regard as well and in particular clinical trials so we are a clinical trials uh, company in other words mm-hmm. we've started human trials which i'll talk to talk to you about yeah in particular the company's uniqueness is is that we're using repurposing drug repurposing i see and this is quite interesting because you know the drug development pipeline for a drug can be up to 15 20 years and if we find other drugs that already you know, uh, work uh, mm. indications so we know the safety uh, of these drugs and we don't need to have a lot of preclinical work and then why wouldn't we use these drugs uh, in, in diseases um, so you know it fast tracks uh, uh, drug development and this is something that I'm really really quite excited about and will share with you today yeah absolutely and I think we saw a bit of a trend around repurposing a few years back and it seems to have quietened down a little bit but there's clearly there's clearly um lots of ground to cover there and and you know there's all these drugs out there that have been approved for one thing and then it's not worth the time for the company or the resource for the company to approve it for something else but for another group and for another set of circumstances there can be real therapeutic value there right so there's a huge amount of potential waste sat on the shelf in in pharmacies around in hospitals around the world absolutely um i mean there is a problem here you know pharmaceutical companies don't like old drugs because they're mm-hmm. off patents and they like new drugs because they can have new patents and have you know a runaway of you know 15 20 years on the patents 
And so, you know, are they risk averse? Well, as a human being, you know, what you want is a treatment. So right. it may, you know, cost less and fast trackers, but there may be not huge excitement from the pharmaceutical industry. But, you know, if we talk about Alzheimer's, it's a complete desert out there. Yes. There is no treatment. You know, cancers, you'll have two or three treatments for different mm-hmm. cancers. Uh, and Alzheimer's, you know, we're talking if you if you reach the age of 65, one in 10 people can have Alzheimer's. Yeah. It's and it's phenomenal. And if you look at the cost of dementia and Alzheimer's and you total up all the cancers in the world and heart disease, it, you know, it's still a higher cost than all of those diseases put together. Is that right? Yeah. Because, yeah, because it's not it's not just the individual who's mm. irritating, you know, losing cognition, but you've got the societal uh, impact of that. Someone is going to look after them. Yeah. Home and etc. That impact is huge. So there's a desperate need, really, not only for treatments, but early diagnosis. And if there's something that we can do to kind of even if we stave off the effects of uh, of of these devastating diseases by you know slowing them down by five years will make a huge economic impact. Yes. Yeah. And I think you touched on it in in your. Um... Uh, when you were talking about the company at the beginning, you know, one of the reasons that there's this lack of treatment is that it's so complex, right? Anything to do with the brain and particularly neurodegeneration is so complex to not just diagnose, not just treat, sorry, but diagnose. Um, so t- tell us a bit more about your approach and about the biomarkers and, and the way you're tackling this problem. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The The problem we have is complexity. And, mm. and so, you know, Alzheimer's um, starts kicking in after later years, but there are genetic forms of uh, Alzheimer's disease where it accelerates. You know, you have a very quick mode of action. Uh, within years, you can see uh, neurodegeneration, memory loss, mm. uh, all of these kind of. Um, and so you can see the culprits, and a lot of these culprits, and there's some controversial theories here yeah, there's there's these these proteins which which misfold and aggregate so when you, if yeah. you try open uh, an alzheimer's brain you see all these tangled uh, and and plaques in there and these these consist of various proteins one's called beta amyloid another is tau mm. all of these proteins but essentially these these are uh, uh we believe that these 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 proteins uh do cause uh, this uh, neurotoxicity but the problem is a protein you can have a one monomer and you can have a dimer because they come together right you know, etc so the complexity increases and and the who did it is also important because it's the medium size of these proteins that kill cells it's not the mm-hmm. early smaller size or the large size, which are non-toxic, which you can see by your eye when you look at in brains. Right. So, so the biology has to catch up. And our approach is actually, we've got a, a very clever uh, assay or a system to detect the neurotoxic form and not all the others, because everyone, otherwise, otherwise all these clinical trials have been just looking for the ensemble, if you like, rather than the narrow uh, species. Yes, uh, that is the uh, the problem. So we can capture that species, and we can diagnose and say, right, this person 
may have huge amounts of amyloid, but actually they have huge amounts of this toxic form. And that's why they've got Alzheimer's because some people have lots of amyloid and they're perfectly cognitively mm -hmm. normal. So that's that's where we are. We, we we find those those toxic species, and the good news is that these toxic species can be disaggregated. They can be right, and we have these old drugs, which actually are old antidepressants. Okay. Coincidentally, and you know because they're old drugs, they go to the brain. Mm -hmm. So then that's a target, and then they can repel these and break them up, and hence the idea is let's try to break up a lot of these 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 uh, these toxic forms so that they start stop killing neuronal yeah. cells so that early treatment and early intervention is where we're aiming for and that's our usp yeah i see i see and um as you say there i guess like any of these things catching it early is is beneficial right and so the diagnosis element becomes becomes key there too yeah yeah and, and, and this is a new paradigm shift in mm. in, in drugs uh, in terms of you know medical treatments let's use well, they call it precision medicine now so let's diagnose x and y and z person see how much levels of that you know toxic form they have yes and then give them the right sort of medication to get rid of that and that happens in cancer now you know um, so precision medicine where they you know particular genotypes or whatever then certain certain drugs are used which which would benefit those otherwise they would not so this targeting uh, really is quite essential yeah absolutely and, and you mentioned the company is running clinical studies currently um now i appreciate there'll be some parts of this that are probably confidential so that's absolutely fine but um but yeah tell us a bit about where you're at with it all and and where you're up to with the the research so far yeah, uh, so we're running a clinical trial, what they call a biomarker trial. Mm. And we have patients already with blood. Remember, we're, we're analyzing blood here, which is quite unique. Mm -hmm. You know, Alzheimer's was originally um, identified post-mortem. So people were, uh, had died, and then you're looking at slices of the brain and see these aggregates. What we find that these aggregates actually occur in the blood as well. So there's a there's a blood-brain sort of interaction. So you can, mm. it's seeding the brain, you know? So there's the, you know, the human beings are, are not just one compartment, they actually interact mm -hmm. with organs. So the, the study that we have is we have uh, 40 to, uh, to 80 patients of blood. Um, and then what we're doing there is isolating uh, and showing the fact that these toxic oligomers are present in the yes. Uh, compared to control samples who, who don't have Alzheimer's and, and the disease. So once we can target those and look at those different levels, then we can identify those people with a lot of those toxic forms and whether we can treat them and maybe even monitor them over time, you know, to see if that, you know, with the drug treatment to see if those biomarkers go down. Yes. That is then you're looking at a, a kind of physiological response, the biomarker response that actually it is working, but it may take time for cognition to come back. Mm -hmm. If you've gone too far and you know a lot of your brain cells are dead, you can't re replace brain cells. Yeah. If 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 you can go back somewhat and start preventing those deaths and some of that memory loss can come back because not all the brain is, uh, is 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 dead, if you like. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're doing. So we're doing a biomarker trial with blood, 
and then we also next year we're looking to use this biomarker study to select patients and if we know what their levels are and then we try our drug treatments our yes. drug treatments are these drug drugs which you know break apart these oligos these toxic things so then we can monitor them so it's quite a smart system because clinical trials have failed you know so many times in this mm -hmm. billions have been spent and we think you know uh, diagnosing the right patients is important because a lot of clinical trials they, they they're clinically diagnosed but right they have different types of dementia so yeah. what we're looking at is you know reducing that size and making sure it's more precise yes i see and and being able to find those um those biomarkers in the blood is is crucial to that right because as much as post-mortem diagnosis is scientifically interesting it's a bit late for that patient at that point <laughs> it is it is a bit late yes yeah. absolutely and 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 you know there are other fluids that people work with like mm. csf uh, that's the spinal fluid mm -hmm. those, those are so painful you know yes. the test is so easy to do and i think this will be you know eventually i can see a, a time where everyone just gives a blood sample we test it and they will say well actually you know what yeah, your 20 years, you know, it's going to look like this. So what we want to put you is on a kind of preventative lens. Yeah. So that you have like a prophylactic course. Uh, so you can slow down this progression, disease progression. Yeah. So, so that's 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 what we're aiming for. Anyway. Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess it, you, you could almost see it becoming a bit like getting your prostate check, right? It's like when you turn 40, you should get that done. And so similarly, you should have these blood tests done and you should have you should you should look out for these things at a certain age, right? Absolutely. That's yeah. It. Yeah, it makes sense. So fascinating. I could ask you lots of questions about this. For you. I'm sure we'll come back to it. Um, really keen to dive into your career as well and, and the journey you've taken to this. Um, because you're a scientist by training, from from what I can see, and if I'm right, a protein engineer originally. Yeah, that's right. yeah. That's right. Um, so tell us a bit about to start with. You know, why why science? Why protein engineering? Why why therapeutics for you? Where did this all come from? Well, I I, I come from um, humble backgrounds from Birmingham, um, inner city Birmingham, and. Um, and I come from a kind of Pakistani background. I mean, I'm, I'm a second generation born here, mm -hmm. UK. But our, our parents were really interested in their children, you know, to become doctors. That, that mm -hmm. was it was either doctor or lawyer. That was it. There was no right. or engineer. But I was more interested in in you know the the action of um, drugs in terms of medicine and the pharmacology of those. So. So it was chemistry and biology and how they interact. This was a fascination. Mm. Um, so I was encouraged by my teachers to, to you know, to, to do biology and chemistry. Um, so I chose a kind of joint honours at Salford University where I was doing uh, my first degree. Um, but also, you know, if you think about it, all drugs or most drugs actually come from nature. So they mm -hmm. come from plants or organisms and et cetera. So they are almost this right shape, if you like. These drugs are the right keys, yes. uh, which fit the locks of us as organisms, as animals or, or human beings. Mm. So that was my kind of fascination. And one of my uh, heroes at the time when I was uh, looking at this is, uh, is, a, is a woman called uh, Professor Yu Yu Chu, 
who got a, a Nobel Prize uh, jointly in 2015. And she was working um, on a plant called Wormwood. Okay. And she was looking at texts which were, you know, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years old, of old Chinese texts, which showed that this, um, uh, this plant produced a compound which um, really killed malaria. And, and so the, 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 the parasite itself. So, uh, and that product was called, it's called artemisinin. You know, it's, it's an amazing uh, natural compound, which was then synthesized, etc. But it saved millions of lives, mm -hmm. you know, and, and from where? From knowledge, uh, which has been repurposed, if you like, been used over thousands of years. So there's lots mm -hmm. of compounds like this. You know, if you take even um, from the bark of willow, you had, um, yeah, you've had, uh, what's it called? Uh, aspirin. So right, aspirin, yes. aspirin gets rid of your headache, but also thins your blood. So it has two effects and one can utilize that effect um, for different types of diseases. Mm. So that was my kind of interest in that kind of, uh, you know, that's what spurred me on and thinking about other drugs and other ways to solve problems quickly. Uh, without you know huge cost and and getting out to people because there's no point having 20 years 30 years yeah so much development and, and also it's a different model from pharmaceutical model as well it's more of a human model and this is something which I was quite excited about and actually I, I'll come back to this um, later on you know when I did my degrees at Salford uh, I went back to Salford University with my team there and decided to look for more compounds uh, mm -hmm. and found new compounds, which are old compounds, again, new repurposed compounds. Yes. Malaria. So, uh, and that was uh, by using a PhD student and her blood used to grow this malaria parasite. And then I had a library of old drugs, threw them in and found, hey, actually a couple of these old drugs kill malaria as well. And because they're safe to use, you can, Utilizing the human being straight away. Yes. And why wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah. So that yeah. was a 2013 publication, which I did. It was called Drug Repurposing for Malaria. Um, and it was with the Sulfur University Group. So you can inflict amazing, you know, um, you know, uh, therapies within, you know, a year or so and find these cures, which a lot of people aren't doing. You know, I wrote a book chapter about how to do this as well. So this is this is the kind of workings, you know, chemistry, biology, drug repurposing, uh, which kind of took my career. To mm. So that, that idea of repurposing was there quite early on, it sounds like. And I guess, I suppose, th listening to you talk on this, Fareed, the other thing that strikes me is that a lot of the new compounds that are being created are inherently becoming more and more complex, right? Because the simple stuff, has been done so then that increases complexity in terms of making them in terms of replicating them in terms of scaling them in terms of getting them into people increases cost it does all this stuff so yeah i mean why would you not make the most of yeah you're my you're my wavelength yeah <laughs> i mean we are disruptors really uh because you know what you wouldn't do this if we were a pharmaceutical company because hey you want to have you know create your own not only patents, but uh, the the drug supply and everything else. Mm. But if all of it exists already, uh, you can't mon uh, monetize on it. No. But 
you know, um, it, it comes down to human life in the end, what's important. Um, but yeah, but the, key, the key thing here is it's, you know, we were talking about you know, drugs, almost majority of drugs are inspired by bi biological. Yes, true. Sort of, uh, you know, organisms from plants and others. Um, even AZT, which was repurposed uh, from a compound from a sponge for HIV, you know, so, mm. so they, they do exist. Um, but coming back to, you know, really um, why I was really interested in this. Yes. Um, I, during my year in Salford in 1991 to 92, something strange happened. I, I took a year out and I went to this amazing place called Daysbury Laboratory. Okay. And Daysbury Laboratory is a synchrotron. So it, it, this this almost sounds like science fiction, but it's a huge ring, massive, massive ring where they uh, shoot electron beams and yes. get rays at the, at the engine. Now, I was a young guy in my so early 20s. Uh, so I was placed there in the middle of nowhere for a year. And we were making small crystals um, and you shoot these crystals and then you can look at the shape of molecules. Mm -hmm. So this is like clathrin and in some ways there was also hemoglobin as well to look at, you know, because the shape of molecules ma matter and how they interact with drugs. Right, yes. So there I met this old guy who was opposite me and he was saying, oh, freedom making these little uh, red crystals of hemoglobin. Later on during that afternoon, I found out he's the Nobel Prize winner Max Perutz okay. from Peterhouse College. And, you know, uh, so I was pretty amazed, you know, I thought, wow, you know, uh, he's here, he's doing all his work. He's, he's, uh, but later on, when I worked at GlaxoSmithKline, because I was doing drug de development, mm. uh, I decided, yeah, at GSK, I hit the ceiling uh, and I needed to do a PhD because I only had my master's. I went. I see, yeah. And I got, I got to do a PhD and, MRC, uh, Medical Research Council. And guess who was there? Max Perutz. Really? <laughs> kind of circular there. I was working yes. in, uh, uh, in a group with Sophie Jackson and uh, Professor Alan First working on protein folding. Now, everything what we're talking about, you know, these proteins which are toxic form, these are, you know, proteins which change shape and they misfold. So my PhD in protein engineering was all about, you know, how do these proteins come together and fold and make aggregation and et cetera. So that gave me the kind of biophysical sense of how to prepare proteins, understand the mechanisms, et cetera. So that then also folded in, excuse mm -hmm. me, into, <laughs> into, into the kind of career path that I wanted. And in particular, you know, now that I'm focused on Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and other CNS diseases. As yes. Well. Yeah. And it's amazing to think that, you know, you can, you can almost just bump into these giants of, of the scientific world, right? Well, yes, yes. I mean, I, I'm still a, a senior research fellow as well at Peterhouse College. Mm -hmm. And Max Bruce was, uh, was, you know, from Peterhouse as well. But it, it, I think Cambridge is probably Cambridge, Oxford. These places are pretty unique. You know, yeah, true. UK and biotech. You know, Cambridge is probably the number one place which has made billions in biotech sector. Unlike other places like Manchester, where we are at the moment. <laughs> but you know, we want to change that. You know, we want to yeah. we want to 
I don't know how to use that word level up, but you know, we want to bring up uh, these innovation, in particular, you know, these big questions with you know, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, other diseases as well. So this is something that we're keen to do up here north. No, absolutely, and I think there's a there's a huge amount of. I'm from Manchester, actually, so disclaimer. Oh, right. um, <laughs> there's a huge amount of intellectual capital up there, right, with the university and with you know the people who graduated from AstraZeneca up there, and um, all the companies that have been starting since they they moved on and and alongside that. So there's a there's a population of scientists there that can can really do something if, if they get together and of course it's a big city and you've got infrastructure and resources and you've got access to the rest of the north um there's no reason it shouldn't be the next cluster right absolutely tom we need you back i don't know where you are now <laughs> i'm in cardiff now actually oh, are you? Okay. yes yes um so so talk us through the rest of it so you went and did your phd um you were from what you've said you were working alongside that at, at gsk um tell us about the rest of your career tell us about where it went from there yeah i, I think what happens as a scientist you, you get into a trap um you know you do your first degree second degree third, third degree whatever and you're almost conditioned you know to do research and development you don't mm. look at the bigger picture you don't look at you know how can you impact outside of that because your mindset is just Hey, I'm gonna get another grant and take you down that right. route. And unfortunately, a lot of you know people go down that route, and and, and it's 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 tentative. They they get you know very. But I was thinking the opposite. I mean, when I after my PhD at Cambridge, I, I went to an institute called Babraham Institute, mm -hmm. and I was working with a guy called Mike Townsend there, and we were responsible to develop technology, uh, sort of evolution-based technologies, and we worked with a few spin-out companies as well to spin out technology. And that got me thinking of, you know, really, can we be more entrepreneurial and, and really make products that can be utilized? So that's where I started thinking for a long while, uh, you know, to, to, to create your own uh, company. Yes. Um, then I, I spent uh, four years uh, in 2006. I went to um, the University of Manchester uh, and I stayed there for about four years. And in 2010, I spun out my first company, which is called Protein Technologies Limited, right. based in Manchester. And the focus there was to work on recombinant proteins. So you know, human proteins and producing them in, in E. coli and cells and et cetera. So that, um, and so it was all about protein engineering. Mm -hmm. This is uh, during Manchester and uh, protein technologies, I met a, a guy called uh, Andrew Doig, Professor Andrew Doig. And we sat together and he's a professor of biochemistry and has got a lot of interest in Alzheimer's. And I had a lot of ideas about drugs and using those. So at the university, we we did a, a PhD student, we had a PhD student working with us, and we screened lots of drugs to see mm -hmm. if inhibit some of these toxic oligomers. And we found that we could, that some of these drugs did work, and we also in-licensed a number of compounds. And suddenly Pharmacure, you know, was was born. So the first company was only a CRO, then mm -hmm. Pharmacure uh, is more focused on drug research and we got our first bit of money um, from family and friends and, and a small um, sort of uh, uh, 
VC funding, what we call micro seed funding. Yeah. And that was in 2018-19. And then we got 4 million from uh, partly from the future fund and private investor uh, in 2021. So that then accelerated us straight to clinical trials, both right. biomarker human trial and then to um, the drug trial that we want to do next year. So so that's that's kind of the journey. Um, but again, you know, it's tough. You know, uh, you don't have your parachute as an academic. You're out there, you know, tr trying to whip up people to give you funding. Yes. Take it forward. And, you know, uh, and a lot of pharma companies that aren't interested in repurposing but we want to make that change. And mm. often, you know, we're working with other partners around this. Uh, we're fundraising right now as well. But we want to make this work because I think the combination of diagnostics and the treatment, they go hand in hand. But it costs, as you know, Tom, a lot of money to do these trials. Of course, yeah. 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 So that's where we're at. First trial uh, we started right now, actually, the biomarker trial. And the next trial will be on the drugs next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. And, and so, yeah, there's a lot of things that I'd like to ask more about there. So, yeah. so you took this step into, into an entrepreneurial career. Really, it sounds like through wanting to have greater impact and wanting to, to help more directly impact patients. Um, and I'm guessing that you hadn't had a huge amount of sort of business training or, or anything formal like that at that point um yeah i'm wrong no no you're absolutely right i mean it was it was funny um because when we started uh, the first venture indeed pharmacure as well um there was a lot of courses entrepreneurs courses and, uh, you could go on yeah. but then you know um we just realized that actually you know, we've done all of that, you know, entrepreneurs. And it's so specific what we do. Mm. Um, you know, raising funding, uh, doing, you know, making slides even for investors, um, you know, understanding what an exit position means. You know, how do you, how does the company exit? You know, in, in yeah. biotech, we're talking, you know, years. It could be five years, it could be more, et cetera. Um, and a lot of risk-averseness, you know, Alzheimer's is hard. There's yes. so many failures. Nobody wants to touch it. So how do you how do you square that? You know, in some ways, COVID helped us <laughs> in a weird way, where you know we had the future fund. Right. It's really for those innovation-based companies, um, and hence the government put, puts in half the funds, if you like, and we had private investment. Yes. But yeah, um, so, and actually COVID on a different slant, um, when you get COVID, you also get brain fog as well. And there's evidence that these toxic proteins are created. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's something else, which is quite, uh, quite interesting that we're, we're looking into as well. Mm. Um, but back to, you know, um, the entrepreneurial side of things, um, I think you have to work work on it as, on the job, but your mindset has to change. I mean, I was lucky because I worked for GlaxoSmithKline before I did a PhD, right. so I was a kind of mature student, if you like. So I knew practicalities of deadlines and making things, actually mm -hmm. making a product, if you like, these biomarkers. So I, I, I mean, my theory is that no one should do a PhD unless they had 
you know, one or two industrial experiences. Otherwise, they're fixed in the academic zone. Yes. Never change that. If you go out of it, then you can be a little bit more entrepreneurial. And I think that's the key elements. You need to be out in industry. Otherwise, you know, a bit like uh, Gollum in his cave, you will become a creature of it. Yeah, no, I can see that. And, I, you know, I often think this about um, MBAs as well, right, is that if you do an MBA straight after your, your bachelor's degree, for example, it's going to be hard to draw parallels between that and business and the real world. Whereas if you've got a bit of experience in the business world prior to going and doing it, there's going to be a lot more context that you bring to that. I guess it's the same sort of idea. Yes, it is. And also, you don't have a parachute as well. I mean, right. When, when you're employed by yourself, more or less, you know, when you first start, you know, you've got to, you, you don't have salary sometimes. Mm. How do you cope with that? Um, so you have to have some sort of mitigation and you've got to have some other balance. I mean, I was lucky I had another company that could part support me. Yes. Uh, so, you know, so uh, one has to think of those things because otherwise it's mentally hard and, you know, um, and getting the right team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tapped back into Cambridge University, which was still open to me. You have, you've got to get those contacts. Uh, and also friends. Um, I've got a, a very close friend of mine called uh, Dr. Naz Bashir. Uh, we worked on a different project. And then he, was, he also did, you know, um, a lot of work in clinical science. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you bring those people in, in kind initially. But yeah. <laughs> So you have to, you know, uh, entrepreneurial, you have to be frugal. And and I think that's probably back to my roots, really, where we I had to be frugal when we began in, in humble beginnings back in Birmingham. You, you've got to find other ways to do things. Yeah. Those favours. Um, but, you know, it works. It does work. And, mm. uh, and now it's just, you know, we need, you need that. Whatever happens, you need that quantum of funds to get you forward. And, Absolutely. Uh, that's and that's a that's a, a dark art. It's, it's 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 who you know, who you contact. It's not very logical uh, as a scientist to find funding, because that that is a strange thing. That's a strange beast, which you know I've raised money and things, but it's always the same. Um, mm. But you know those are important aspects. And once you got into those networks, um, especially in Northwest. Um, you get a lot less uh, sort of VCs as you do in London and the Triangle, as they call it. Yes, yeah, it makes sense. And so I guess a lot of very smart private investors are probably quite hard to convince, but at least you're not trying to to persuade a consortium of people, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. And I suppose in starting Pharmacure, obviously different business model to your first business some scientific uh, themes running through it um but you know different objectives and different different sort of funding structure different cost structure all that kind of stuff um but you know i imagine there are things that you learned from that first business that you took into pharmacure anything particularly that stands out that you learned through the the first phase of your entrepreneurial journey that that was useful in the second phase yeah yeah so um, i i think uh making proteins uh, is is key and we had a lot mm-hmm. of um, interactions uh, from our first company and working with other um, uh, 
so one one thing was was quite interesting. So Protein Technologies had a, a, a collaboration with a company called Synapsed, and okay. they were developing this biomarker. And cut a long story short, um, you know, we we thought this is a really good assay, blood based assay, and then you know, Pharmacure really wanted it, but we, we couldn't. We, we didn't have the money at the time, mm-hmm. but we did uh, we did a bit of work with them, and that relationship became pretty strong. And in 2000, uh, 2021, um, we bought the company out. I see. So okay. you know, it came it came via that route, and so so there was you know a synergy there, and and I think everything became focused in the sense that. You know, uh, in GSK, we had, you know, assays and, and understanding PhD gave me the protein side of things. So it all came together, if you like. Mm. And from there, you know, um, we had a, a lot of clinical uh, uh, assistance through uh, through other partners as well. So um, and, and indeed that incubated protein technologies incubated uh, Pharmacure for a couple of months as well. So right. Uh, so they were inside the incubator as well. So they utilized the equipment, they utilized uh, the resources that were there. So we didn't have to buy all the equipment, which is quite a massive cost for a, a small company. So yes. That that gave us that uplift. And recently we've just moved to other labs and become more independent and a bit more grown up. So that's all good as well. So, you know, there was all these little steps. Mm. Uh, but it's a, it is a learning curve, you know, and... And it's always, um, you know, I, I think the exciting thing is we're looking more translationally now. You know, we're yeah. now working with, you know, patients. We, you know, if we prove this works, then you know, it's it's a big deal. Uh, you know, we're working other partners as well. We're doing some grant applications. We're looking at Parkinson's, and you know, there's high profile uh, people on grants there uh, as well that we're looking into. Yeah, and, um, and Parkinson's is another. Um, devastating disease, as you will know from some famous people, Michael J. Fox, for example, and their foundation as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. Yeah. And so, I suppose looking back on the last four years and and prior to that, and you may have mentioned some of this already. Um, so, so no problem if you have. It's fine to repeat that. But if you if you were starting out on this journey again of of starting Pharmacure or starting protein technologies, or even if, if it was just starting out on your scientific career again, what do you think are the things that you've learned that, that you would have liked to know earlier on? You know, what, what's the advice that you would give to yourself? What, what things do you think have been particularly formative lessons for you over your career, Fareed? Oh, that's, that's, that's a very good question. Um, you know, if we have to really rewind the clock a bit, because there's a lot of learning here. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> what I've learned is, uh, and I think this is now widely established, everything is not to do with the innovation. It's actually right. timing. Timing is more important than anything else. Mm-hmm. And perhaps location as well, I would add that. Okay. So, for example, you know, retrospectively, maybe I should have stayed in that golden triangle because that's where, you know, the big, big bucks are. Mm. You know, if you're an outlier... It's just, hey, you know, where's where's Manchester? Let alone anywhere else. <laughs> um, but coming back, um, the the other thing is, um, 
there's a there's a company uh, which is in the news now, uh, which has shown that an antibody uh, can give some sort of effects for Alzheimer's. This is quite big news. Mm. So it's a it's an antibody. It's a very expensive way uh, to deliver the drug, but at least that antibody shows that you know what we're doing mechanistically at least is correct. You know? Yes. But we're working about a pill. You know, we're not talking about an intravenous system that probably costs a quarter of a million pounds a year. We're talking a very, very inexpensive method uh, mm. of, of, of utilizing our drugs. Um, <clears throat> so the timing is absolutely right now. Everybody now is going towards this. Hey, maybe the, there is a possibility that we can now have therapeutics for this. Yes. Timing is, is, is absolute. And the second thing is, that diagnostic piece is also coming together. A lot of people are now looking into diagnosing these. And there's a lot of grant applications, but also commercial need, massive need to do that. So I think we're in the right timing now. Uh, would I do that before? I I, I wouldn't like to uh, have tried to do, convince someone 10 years ago. Sure. You've just spent a billion pounds on, you know, 100 clinical uh, trials, which have failed. So mm. as of now, at least one or two clinical trials have, have been, you know, have worked, but in a very small subset of patients. So we're in this kind of curve that's going up now. So the resurgence is, 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 is definitely going forward. So I'm quite excited about that. So I think this, this, this timing is right. Yeah. And I think there is a new, there's a number of new VCs that are focused on the North now. As well in life. true yes uh, very specifically so perhaps that timing is right for us to tap up those funds as well yeah take it further but i think that there should be more sort of funding for smes especially in this sector because it, it costs so much for us in the uk on the nhs if we can early diagnose and and, and treat patients earlier then I think there should be funding, government funding specifically for this, uh, for these kind of, kind of companies, um, at least to get to over the proof of concept that their technology works. So, so there's Innovate UK, there's a couple of other grant schemes that, uh, that can come into this. But I think the timing is, is right now. And so yeah, that's, that's why I, I feel uh, we're, we're ready to take action now. And I suppose, I mean, this is this is not necessarily something that you've touched on, but I guess it it sort of leads on to this that yes, there's, there's one of the challenges around some of these drugs that, that you're repurposing is what's the incentive for the for the pharmaceutical companies as they're coming off patent. But this whole idea of diagnosis and prevention rather than cure, right? It, it, there's this whole issue of reimbursement around that. And I think the pressure is rising on on governments to do something about that because i think you know i've seen over the last few years last sort of six or seven years particularly there's there's a growing realization that actually we should be we should be getting involved in some of this stuff earlier than we are doing and i saw a great i've mentioned this on the podcast before but i saw a great presentation from a guy he was a business development guy from johnson and johnson and he was quoting a guy called Bill Hain, who was the, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but he's the head of R&D at the time for Janssen. And he had this great quote where he said, you know, in a hundred years time, they're going to look back and say, hang on, you waited until people were sick and then you did something about it. Um, and I think that realization that actually 
we're looking at this problem the wrong way around is growing. It's difficult to turn a ship like government and and big industry and things like that. But I think you're probably starting to see the cracks in that um, that establishment of reimbursement um, form, which which will, I guess, create opportunities for companies like yours, where it is about diagnosis and efficient use of medicines and things like that. Yeah, absolutely agree, Tom. I mean, interestingly, you know, it was in the Second World War prior to that um, where penicillin came about. Mm -hmm. And penicillin could only be developed, by the way, when uh, the government put money into it. Right. And most, most money into it. And then you had some other private uh, partners, uh, namely, you know, pharma companies. And that's why they could then manufacture it as well. You know, it was all about manufacturing. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, so it was a, what they call a kind of, you know, public-private partnerships, PPPs. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it was necessary. Otherwise, people died, you know, in surgery. <laughs> and a war was beginning. Mm -hmm. and and ended and without penicillin you know it would have been much harder yes um and so that was a breakthrough so you know now we should be looking at these devastating diseases um which are going to affect us um and and these diseases uh, i said you know they could be induced by infection but primarily the culprits that cause these um memory losses are protein. So yeah. maybe it's a different target that we we, we need to assess. So I, I think, you know, with that, we need, we need more of these kind of partnerships. And if we can get us to a place that, hey, you know, we can delay this onset disease, then we're a step forward. And then, yeah. then we can develop more uh, drugs because remember penicillin was the first one and then they started adding other molecules to it and became much more efficacious and etc mm. and everything then we can take it to the next level but we need the first set the first generation yes funded, and that's that's what we want to do yeah absolutely and yeah. i think you know the 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 evidence the last few years is that when when some of these frameworks are removed, I mean, of course, you need regulation and the things need to be safe and things need to be done properly. But you know, you see in the in the COVID pandemic that there are incredible things that can be done when some of these these barriers are removed, right? Um, and hopefully, gradually, that that continues to erode the edges of the stuff that's that's maybe a bit less necessary than people think it think it is currently. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, I think watch this space. I think uh, yeah. we're a very small company, but if you look at us, we're equivalent to very large companies in terms of we're in human beings. We're not talking about mm -hmm. testing in mice or anything else. So we do punch above our weight, and that's pretty spectacular. Uh, and and a company, UK-based company, up north. And, you know, I think that's something to be celebrating in its own right, you know, and we should be worth huge amounts, you know, but I think, you know, we just need, we need to get there. And once the results come out, you know, this is something quite exciting for us. And we hope, uh, you know, we want to, you know, uh, make an impact in these diseases. And, and yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's really important work and um, it's really good to see a novel approach to it. Farid, we wish you the best of luck. It's a pivotal time for you and, and we'll keep an eye out. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery. And don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.